you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 244 of the iFreak Show. Today on our panel, we have Guy Rambo. Hello from Brazil. Erica Sadun. Hello from Denver at the base of the Rocky Mountains. And we have a guest today. Please welcome Leo Dion. Hey guys, this is Leo from beautiful Michigan. Leo, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I have been a developer for almost uh, two decades now, it seems like. And about six years ago, I uh, started my own company called Bright Digit, doing web development, mobile development, uh, desktop, stuff like that, but mostly focusing in the Apple space. So I've been doing uh, Apple stuff for almost um, more than almost 10 years now, it seems like, and uh, been developing apps for the iPhone, iPad, uh, and the Apple Watch as soon as that came out, as well as uh, started doing some Mac development over the last year and really get into that space as well. Very cool. So I met you, Leo, last year at MicroConf. I think we've been involved in some online communities before, but the last two years we've, we've hung out at MicroConf before. Can you tell us a little bit about what goes on there? Yeah, MicroConf is uh, probably one of the best conferences I've been to. Uh, MicroConf is focused on people who um, are having running companies, have a great idea, and want to learn how to take that idea to the next level. Um, and it's mostly folks who are bootstrappers. So in other words, uh, folks that don't aren't looking at getting any sort of uh, venture capitalist funding or angel, angel investing or things like that. It's mostly running from your own time and money. And it's a really great conferences. They have some great folks, um, Rob Walling and Mike put that on. And they've been doing that for, I think, like 10 years now. And they run their own podcast as well called Startups for the Rest of Us. And they have they bring out on a lot of great speakers like Justin Jackson, who speak about how to take an idea and uh, really develop that idea, start small, kind of this lean startup methodology and building up from there and understanding what your audience really wants and really needs and what they're willing to pay for. Yeah, I know. I started listening to startups for the rest of us quite a while ago. I listened to it for six months to a year when I was trying to kick something off a startup. And at that time, anyone involved in the startup community was just saying, well, you have to get venture capital funding, you have to get funding. You know, what do you do? You put a pitch deck together and you get funding. Because uh, that's what a lot of people were doing, and I didn't really want to do that. So it was really cool to see people uh, give forth an alternative. Like you don't actually have to uh, get outside funding. You can bootstrap something. You can start it. You can self fund. You can you can start making money from from day one. And uh, people that get that are the type of people that go to microconf. And you've got people that are running their own businesses, making a full time living. Some of the businesses are pretty big, all the way to people that are just just starting out, barely have an idea, or just want to talk to people that are into it. Yeah, I, I feel like I came from a very naive place where it was like, if I build something and it's great and I think it's cool, then geez, the money is just going to come. Um, and it doesn't work like that anymore. And and it really brings out like the importance of finding finding your audience, finding what the customers really want, really need, and, and experimenting and working with that as opposed to just 
as developers, we love to focus on how cool the code is and how well it's architected. But sometimes you got to listen to your customers, you got to listen to your users, and see what the really what the real core need, a core problem is. And and MicroConf really helped expose me to that and that culture and and that philosophy. That makes a lot of sense. I know so many people that have spent months, years building something, and no one bought it. No one wanted it, and they just wasted it. Something that just kind of sat there, and they moved on. Um, so. There are ways to get around that. And I think the cool thing about MicroConf is it, it's mainly tech people. So if you're a developer, you'll feel right at home. Um, but the, tech, the, the, the talks are not tech talks. They're uh, marketing, how do, you, how do you validate an idea, stuff like that. Um, all the things except tech. Um, there are some non-tech people there. Um, there's writers, all sorts of people. But um, it, it's a good mix. But, yeah, yeah, it's a really good mix. I've uh, recently started to like, bring a lot of those ideas locally, and um, I, I just started a, a meetup called Lansing Marketing Hackers, which is where I'm from, I'm from Lansing here. And like, I feel like people need that. They need that mesh between marketing and technology. Both techie people need to be exposed to more of the marketing tools that are out there to test their ideas. And I think marketing people need to be exposed to more of the technology that's out there concerning like automation and analytics because it's, just, it's a fast-growing field right now. And that's what I love also about MicroConf is that, like, that cross-exposure. So now that you've been to MicroConf a couple times, what what are you working on? Um, I think right now uh, I'm focusing, uh, go, moving towards the info product direction because I think there's still a big need uh, for for help in that Swift space, and um, not so much in the 101 type like intro to Swift, but more in the specific niches uh, within Swift and Mac, Mac and Apple development and iOS development. Because I think there's a lot of interesting niches that can be filled, um, different APIs, different things like that. And um, I'm kind of like right now just kind of feeling the field out there as far as what technologies are people really interested in. I think there's a few obvious ones, um, but I'm more uh, interested in maybe the other other niches that are out there. So can you define a info product? A lot of us think of startups as something like a software as a service or an app you sell. What, what's an info product? Yeah, info product is essentially, uh, it could be a book, it could be a, a series of videos, it could be an online course that's a combination of, of written and video material, uh, but essentially it, it's paying for access to that material uh, to help people learn learn various things out there, um, not just tech-related, but it could be all sorts of uh, different maybe hobbies or maybe professional things that people want to learn and uh, learn how to do. Uh, in this case, I'm talking like building an online course for um for Swift, that would kind of go through the step-by-step process, going from step one all the way to, to kind of getting a full rounded exposure to that specific uh, set of lessons. Okay, cool. So where are you at with your, your info products in, in the Swift space? Right now, it's uh, mainly getting into that regular habit of writing um, and uh, separating out the time, allocating the time uh, to do writing to kind of gauge the audience that's out there seeing uh, what are the hot topics that people are really interested in and what I'm interested in, because it's important for me to be interested in it in order to have that motivation. Um, and getting into a habit of, of writing and looking at analytics and understanding what the audience is actually looking for. So you mentioned the meetup that uh, you're organizing. Um, I've been thinking about that lately. Do you have any tips uh, for someone who's wanting to start a local meetup on something? <laughs> yeah, I do. I run, uh, well, this year I ran about three meetups um, so uh, I've been running a JavaScript meetup for almost four years now, and that has gone from uh, about five folks attending to um, to almost 30 attending per month. And that's pretty good for a mid-sized city where I'm at. Um, and you've just seen, it's really interesting, you've seen really the growth of JavaScript over the last few years and how hot and popular it is. And essentially, it's like the tool for doing everything one way or another. Then, of course, there's this uh, marketing hackers group that I've started, and 
that has had a steady growth, steady of about 20 people, because I think we get a good uh, mix of marketing and technical folks. Um, and what I've found is kind of reaching out to people both personally and uh, through email and through the various social networking tools that I have available to me. And then also um, just constant like feedback showing that the, this meetup is actually alive posting articles, posting videos, things like that, um, letting them know. We live stream our events right now, and I think that's really helped a lot in building the community. Uh, what's actually been a big struggle this year, and I've ended up uh, taking a break from it, is honestly like the Cocoa Heads group. Um, it's just I haven't had that kind of traction and the amount of time I'm putting in in order to do it. And it doesn't really benefit the info product space as much as you'd think it would, um, because I'm finding like mo more people are interested in that one-on-one -on -one type stuff. The, uh, I, I had a really good, great crowd um, telling people how to build an iPhone from scratch, but that's not really kind of the audience that's going to uh, be interested in an info product necessarily. Um, and so that, that ended up being a real struggle, and it was a disappointment. But, um, you know, you find the audience that's there, and uh, just Cocoa Heads wasn't, wasn't a group that was viable in this area for now. Yeah, I think Cocoa Heads are struggling in a lot of different areas. It, it, you know, five years ago, I, I, iOS was the cool thing, and everyone wanted to go to the meetups. And I think the meetups were all doing really well. And I, I talked to a bunch of people at DubDub last week, and a lot of the groups are, are kind of having trouble with lineup speakers. And our local groups here in Minneapolis, I had to like grab the reins and say, okay, you work with them, you work with them, and I'll help lineup speakers, speakers um, because the groups weren't really self-organizing anymore. Um, yeah. From my experience, it kind of becomes a little repetitive after a while. You will start getting the same uh, how to use Viper talks that everyone always wants to give. And we only really get brand new stuff uh, once per year, which is uh, at WWDC. So uh, I think having like a monthly meeting might be too much for uh, Cocoa Heads, especially well, in a small place. I'll tell you, we did. I was I, I have a busy schedule. I did them every other month and it's still we weren't getting we weren't getting that turnout, unfortunately. And I think I think a lot of it is just um, there isn't like it can it's hard to get people to come when there's so much stuff out there already on that specific space online. Um, and then they lose that benefit of, they don't feel like there's a benefit in the personal, like being there, meeting people, hearing people talk, networking and things like that. Um, so that's like, I think a big part of it. And I think then, the ideal meetup is always going to be, first of all, a social one. You're going to be around people you like, people who share an interest. I think that's the primary draw, but there's always a secondary thing, which is, you see them last month, you're going to see them again next month. There has to be something that elevates this beyond just hanging out together. And it has to have a fairly fixed itinerary. I think that you need to have something to inspire people, whether it's testing or whether it's um, code review or, you know, just pick a topic, any topic. But something preferably with a little bit of a twist on it that makes you think slightly differently about your development day so that you walk away with something that is pushing you forward into your development afterwards. And that's something I think is not what I'm seeing in a lot of the meetup groups. I think that's really true, Erica. I think a lot of it is like having that personal connection, but then also like the meat and potatoes type talks that are actually going to help your development day to day. Uh, we, did you just mention, did you say um, Vapor? Like you hear, you get a lot of talks about Vapor. No, I, I mentioned Viper. The, oh, Viper. Okay. Texture. Yeah, you end up getting lots of those usually. Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe to your point, Erica, is like if it's not applicable to the day to day and there's not that personal connection, it's hard to get people to keep coming on a regular basis. And I think that's that's definitely true from what I've seen. So, so Guy, 
We haven't had any, any Viper talks up here, but we've had a lot of Vapor talks. Maybe we can arrange a swap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll fly someone down to You'll Brazil. find that that will come to bite you. Hi-yo. Where's my good shot? Yeah. But I do think that if you're coordinating a meetup, that you sort of have to come up with almost an itinerary of key points that each of your meetings should focus on and then bring the talk or the speaker or whatever they're showing off into that. Otherwise, it's just a social group. Yeah. Now, one thing I always make sure is to have a topic and a speaker lined up. Um, like, mm-hmm. And I'm pretty good about making sure that that itinerary um, is five minutes networking, five minutes intro to your topic for half an hour, and then Q&A. This Q&A, I think, is, is a good good time a lot of a lot of info comes from the Q and A, um, and then just making sure that there's con- that consistency there. And then, like I said, emailing, marketing your meetup. I hate to use that term marketing because I, I mean it is marketing, but all I'm doing is like emailing people and messaging people on Slack. Um, but I mean it is marketing and, and showing them that they're you're there because you find a lot of these meetups. Um, the organizers just kind of they post it and then you never see them until the day. Uh, and I think it's just important to like keep reminding people and, and keep motivating people to come to the meetup as well. I don't care if it's a meetup or a full-blown conference, it's something that should take you away from what you're working on at the moment and just give you some sort of inspiration as you exit. Something that just propels you forward with an excitement about what your work is. And so you start to think about your work with new, new tools or new ideas of how to approach it. And I think a successful meetup does that. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, that's, Jane, I don't know about you, but I definitely have a big to-do list as well as some inspiration every time I come back from Vegas uh, when it comes to microconf. Definitely. I I get a bunch of things I'm trying to get through, (laughs) going through it. Uh, Speaking of uh, microconf and your info products, and you mentioned doing content marketing, which is, you know, writing blog posts. uh, How's that going for you? Really good. So a lot... um, a lot of what I'm thinking about doing right now and kind of my philosophy is um, I've, had, I've had a couple of apps in the app store, fine apps, but there's there's never any buyers. And it's really hard uh, uh, to get to get an app that you can actually make money on right now. Uh, I don't think that's a shock to anybody. Harder and harder. Um, so the idea is, is, OK, like I still want to build apps for the app store and it may not necessarily make me uh, money necessarily, but um it's part of that process, part of that process of building an app that there's both a story and a tutorial to tell. Um, so right now, um, what I really am focusing on, uh, and I've posted a couple of blog posts about this, was uh, jumping into the uh, health kit on the watch because uh, I work out. Um, it's part of any developer's healthy lifestyle is, is regularly working out. Um, but I don't have a lot of time. And so I've started looking into what's called uh, high-intensity interval uh, training. Essentially, what that yes, hits, you got it. So essentially, how the way that works is uh, you can, you're kind of getting your heart rate up for a certain uh, interval of time, and uh, then you uh, then you let your heart go, rate go back down, essentially by like slowing down or lowering your difficulty level for a certain period of time, and then you keep doing that up and down, up and down for for like say 20 minutes to half an hour. Uh, I can get a lot of calories out <laughs> essentially that way in a short amount of time, um, and I've written basically doing that right now using this standard Apple workout app. But what's annoying is constantly having to turn my wrist while I'm on a stair stepper in order it to really see, okay. It really sucks when you yeah. have to figure out what, what what's missing is the trainer. 
Yes. And um, so what I'm interested in doing is building an app that will detect your heart rate and kind of detect how long you've been at that heart rate and using haptic feedback in order to let you know when to slow down or when to speed up uh, based on that interval training. Because a lot of the, I feel like a lot of the interval apps that are out there are all time based, but I'm not necessarily going to get to that heart rate in that given amount of time. And I think you get more bang for your buck by doing it based on heart rate as opposed to time necessarily. Um, so that's, that's the idea is haptic feedback on the Apple Watch based on heart rate and kind of giving you that indication rather than constantly having to turn my wrist. So building this app, I'm learning uh, Apple Watch stuff, getting more in-depth there. I've, I've done Apple Watch stuff since day one. And then also uh, learning, getting into HealthKit, and um, basically been blogging about that. I'm about two blog posts behind, but um, get learning about HealthKit, learning about how to get all these HealthKit samples, querying them, setting up a work, workout. Um, and also, uh, there was a great talk last week, What's New at Workout, that I've also been able to um, bring some of that in and learn how to do workouts uh, the Watch OS 5 way, even though I'm not quite ready to make that jump onto the beta. Um, there's a lot of great new APIs from 5.0. So that's essentially the way, what I'm doing right now is building an app and taking that story, taking that process and building blog posts around that and then seeing, okay, like, are people really interested in this topic? Should I go even more in depth and moving forward from that point? How do I you feel that, about the Apple Watch APIs? Because I personally feel like they're very limited at the moment. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Um, but I also feel like it's still kind of amazing that I have a mini computer that I can do so many things on it. Um, do you think it, do you think it's like limiting from a UI perspective? Because that's the biggest complaint I hear. Yeah, that's uh, specifically my complaint that we we are we don't have all the flexibility we have on iOS uh, for layouts. Yeah, I, I I empathize where you're coming from. Um, I think Apple since day one has been pretty paranoid about like battery usage, and that still holds holds true. Like, thank God they've dropped Series Zero, quote unquote Series Zero from WatchOS Five. Um, because it's allowed them to do a lot more stuff like the audio API playback. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely feels like WatchKit is still restrained by that that worry that you know if you start doing crazy UI stuff, you're gonna you're gonna end up uh, killing your battery on your watch. Um, I, I don't mind it. I try to like to me, it's working within those restraints that you can do some really interesting stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it, to me, like honestly, the biggest problem I have with development on the watch is just how darn slow it is. Even even simulator just it takes forever to get get stuff going. On the on the watch simulator, and then you try and do it on an actual watch, <clears throat> running code that way is just it's it can be a pain at times. Um, so those are more of my my complaints when it comes to Apple Watch development. Yeah, I've had the same experience uh, about the slowness, and don't get me wrong, I actually enjoy developing for the watch. I think it's it's kind of fun uh, having, uh, as you said, a computer uh, on your wrist. Um, I just wish that we had received some more powerful uh, UI framework this year. I guess uh, we should wait for next year. Well, we are going to get hopefully a more powerful UI framework on the Mac, and maybe that might be a good time to to uh, move some of the stuff over to the watch. Maybe have have a little bit of quote unquote synergy there. But yeah, I think they're just paranoid about the power usage on the on the watch. Still, that's still a large part of their philosophy. So you mentioned you've got a novel approach for an exercise app, and I, I like the approach because you know you can always half ass your your timing, you know, getting your heart rate up where you need to be if you do it run for two minutes or whatever. Um, so I like that it's actually checking your heart rate. A lot of people I know would just build this app, throw it in the app store. Hope it gets featured by Apple or you know whatever. Um, but you're taking a different approach. You're writing blogs that tell the story of what's going on with this app, why you should use it. Is that is that right? Uh, most of my blog posts are actually focused more on the coding process um, because the idea would be is using that as a guinea pig to test if there's an info product, say. Uh, in a HealthKit or Apple Watch development specifically. I think that's more of it. Obviously, I think there's definitely um, some 
some more content that can be done explaining why I'm building this app. Um, and I do a little bit of that through the technical posts, but um, a lot of it is kind of taking taking the building of the app as as a uh, maybe like a blueprint or maybe an ex- a little taste of what maybe an info product built around building workout apps might be. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. So you're writing, you're journaling your the process of creating the app, digging into the technical stuff, the, the watch kit, the the health the health stuff, and seeing what kind of interest you get from the blog post to see if people are interested in learning that. Yeah, exactly. And then obviously put the app in the app store, market it, just, you know, make sure I'm, I'm building that and tailoring that correctly. Um, but yeah, I think I, I don't want to place all my, um, I don't want to put, put it all on like the app itself, but more on the process of building the app and the info product um, as, as much more of a, of a possibility of building an audience uh, through that, if that makes sense. Okay. So you've Go talked ahead. about building an app that monitors the heart rate so that your interval training is appropriate. Have you looked into the wider scope of personal training? Because I do feel that that's an area that really could use some apps, especially when you've got, at least after WWDC this year, we've got, you know, all the um, core machine learning stuff. We've got the, the all the watch integration with HealthKit. All the pieces are there to do some amazing monitoring of the body and getting people to that training point where the training really has impact on them. So you're saying like almost like an artificially intelligent personal trainer based on using like machine learning. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I definitely see like that. That's a possibility. Um, at some point, um, I think a lot, a lot of what apps do, I think to one of the things I've seen with apps is they start off being fairly simple um, and then they start branching out to selling outside services. So that <clears throat> that might be more of of that line of business is you build you build a workout app and then you say, hey, you know, I see you've been using our app quite a bit. Would you be interested in our personal training services? Um, maybe, you know, maybe that might be a route as well. And like seeing seeing that as a possibility for for building um, building actual revenue is by not just being dependent on an app itself, but the services built around the app. Because I think. Um, yeah, I think you know, you take it's almost like an Uber approach, right? Where it's like you build using actual people and then you start automating that, um, making that process even more streamlined. What kinds of coaching? You've talked about um, the high intensity interval training. What kinds of coaching do you think would benefit from Apple technology? I'd really be curious to see what other physical activity out there um, similar to high intensity interval training would benefit from actual health monitoring and to me like you've got that great health monitor well it's not perfect but it's pretty darn good what you get with the apple watch and if you could merge that with haptic feedback because i think that to me is the biggest annoyance right now is honestly like looking at my watch while i'm working out to constantly look at my heart rate and just having like that haptic feedback so when you're you know bench pressing or i don't know what other doing lunges, uh, <laughs> whatever kind of workout you're doing, it, it, it will let you know through that haptic feedback as opposed to uh, just doing it only through a visual means. Because I think it, Well, there's always seen... audio. Yeah, well, now there's audio, right? Because we have an audio playback API too. Um, and I'm wondering, yeah, I'd be curious to see what kind of features you can do with the watch speaker as well. Or maybe, yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot there. And because um, I think a lot of the problem is developers focus on the visual side of everything. As mm-hmm. opposed to like, there's other senses involved. And if we're, you we're think kind about of... it, when you're training, 
you want to be using your body. You don't want to be holding a phone. You don't want to be looking at your wrist. And what you really want is a virtual presence there saying, you know, okay, now, now go harder. Now slow down and take a breath. You want that immediate response to what you're doing, but you want that interaction in a way that uses the senses that don't require you to, con- to move your body to get access to the app. It is basically living within a ubiquitous app as opposed to a screen, as opposed to a touch. That, yeah, where, that makes a lot of sense. That think, makes a lot of sense. Where your body and the movement of your body, and as you point out with the heart rate, the state of your body is the inputs to your program. And I think there's so more, much more that can be done than simply, okay, beep, stand, you know, or, or buzz, stand up and, you know, move your body, you know, every hour or so. That is such a low level of achievement, such a low bar. And whether you're working at a desk in an office or you're doing circuit training or you're running or you're biking, it seems to me that all these activities should be augmentable with training, with feedback, with goals, achievements, gamification, all the things you would normally find in, in, in applications, but without the screen and without the touch. I agree with you on a lot of those points there. I think going forward, the screen is going to be a lot less important for how we interact with our devices. You know, we're not going to use them as phones. We're not really using them as screens. You know, uh, Siri, Siri shortcuts is a step forward in that, just being able to talk to your phone and have some useful functionality come out of it. Uh, getting haptic feedback on things like uh, when you're, you, you know, your heart rate or I would use it for, I go for a run and I want to see if I'm on a pace I want to be at, you know, how many miles per minute. And I have to reach up and look at it with my, my wrist, which doesn't always work because I'm running into a bunch of weird motions that Apple doesn't always detect correctly. So I'm like running for like 10 seconds with my, with my arm in a weird position. Um, and vision up? is the wrong mode for that. I agree. It's obvious that we need other modes. Now, the two modes that we have available to us are touch, which is the haptic feedback, and hearing, which is the audio feedback. The, the And just having something saying, okay, you can bring it back a little bit. No, let's push it. Let's push it now. Come on, give it a push. Give it a push. Yeah, you know, celebrating with you. That kind of Basically, it's the device sort of programming the human as opposed to the human touching the, the device. I want a workout app with their voice. I think it'd be really motivating. <laughs> I find my voice really irritating. I have a, um, a ringtone, which people tell me is the most annoying ringtone ever. So <laughs> Now I have to hear it. I, I think you would like something a little bit more. I'm trying to think of the word. What is it? Mellifluous? I'm going to need a dictionary for that one. Uh, Pretty? <laughs> nice. No, I'll, I'll send you my uh, ringtone later. It is probably the most irritating ringtone ever. <laughs> I think that's a lot of where technology is moving is away from necessarily, other than like the AR, VR stuff, I think a lot of technology is moving towards the, like audio, touch, um, motion tracking space, because I think there's there's a lot more potential there. Um, I don't know if any of you have used the Nike running app, but um, have any of you used that app before? I haven't. I use RunMeter. Okay. So on that app, like when you're at your, let's say you like set a distance goal for for your running, uh, when you're at your like last lap or so, usually some 
I'm not, I don't know a lot about athletes and running, but typically like some famous athlete will be, will just speak up and go, Hey, good job. Keep it going. Um, and as dorky as that might yeah, sound. Yeah, that's not it, condescending at all. <laughs> as dorky as that might sound, it actually like, it's kind of like, Oh, that's kind of nice. That's kind of cool. Achievement unlocked. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you pointed like, out something earlier and I don't want to skip past it. You said augmented reality. And in a way, everything we've discussed so far is augmented reality, even though we're not using vision here. Yes. Yeah. And I think one of the big problems with like going back to Cocoa Heads, I feel like along with maybe Viper, you'll like see 100 Cocoa Heads that'll have an AR kit tutorial. And like I have, a, I have a somewhat of an interest in AR kit, but at the same time, it is still pretty darn clumsy to hold an iPhone just to see a bunch of like Lego characters move. It's now, just if the, you want a heads up display, it has to be something that integrates into your hat into your bike helmet, it cannot be holding right. a phone in front of your face. Right, exactly. So, like, I think, like, going to what you're saying, Erica, is, like, there's a lot of potential when it comes to AR, and that's not necessarily visual. I don't know if that's uh, a heresy to say that in the AR world, but, like, I mean, I think that, like, AR does not have to be visual. It could be feeling, it could be haptic, it could be, um, it could be audio as well, and I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, just people don't want to have to look at their phones um, I personally in a lot of want, situations. I personally want clothing that will hug me. <laughs> you know, I'm feeling sad. Oh, you know, her, her vitals that we're monitoring look like she's just, ha you know, getting frustrated or whatever. <laughs> her shirt's going to give, you know, contract those, you know, little fibers and give her a hug. Yeah. Don't you think that would be a lovely thing? <laughs> but going back, you know, what is currently on our, our horizon? I know everybody gave up on Google Glass. I know everybody gave up on the heads up display. But it seems to me we need to have some sort of heads-up display system to augment our reality in a way that's safe and supportive. And think about it. Think about stats. Every one of us who does any sort of athletics, even if we're really crap at it, which would be me, we love stats. We love to know how we're doing. We know we love to know how we're doing compared to yesterday. We yeah. love to know how how far there is left to go, how much we have achieved. Have we set a new goal? How, how close are we to that new goal? And, you know, is it because we're going you know, faster today? Is it because we're doing more power output today? You know, you know, getting our watts out. There's so much that we really enjoy as consumers. Now, I personally use, I have a, a little uh, Wahoo Reflect on my bike. And it's like a pebble, which is really the best way to describe it. It connects to run meter and all my stats are there. So, I have, you know, what time is it? Because you always need to know what time it is. I have, what is my average speed, my current speed, my max speed? What direction am I going in? Um, things like that. There are a couple of things it doesn't do particularly well. For example, it tells me which direction I'm going in, but it doesn't tell me which direction the wind is coming in. And if you're biking, that's a huge thing. You really want to know where, where the wind is coming. Right. You know, another thing that it doesn't do particularly well is it doesn't do temperature. You know, man, it's hot out here. Well, how hot is it? <laughs> you know, you've got the geodata. The geodata is going to give you an API to, to how hot it is. Just put it down there because, you know, knowing how hot it is, maybe I should, you know, take it a little bit easier, drink a little bit more and so forth. Because, you know, when it's 95 degrees or, you know, 100 degrees out, you have to adjust your workout accordingly. These are all things that are easily available through APIs. And again, are part of that wider experience of just working out. And you can imagine not only people out doing things, you know, in the wilderness or on bike paths or running paths or whatever, but in the office. Think about how much 
could be done just with an Apple Watch, some decent sensors and some decent coaching to do in-chair in workouts, in-chair yoga, in-chair stretches. These are all amazing opportunities, and I don't see the products. Apple is going to bring one to market um, soon-ish, I guess. I feel like all of the investment they're doing in AR is not so we can use it on our phones. I, I think the phones and the iPads are not the end product for AR. Uh, and the it's end not just AR, because every time you mention AR, you have to say machine learning too. Yeah. ML and AR, they go together hand in hand. They've already tied into a lot of research. There's got to be some sort of machine learning component of it, which takes all the data that is you know, pulling from your body and comes to some conclusion of what it is you're doing and what it wants to take your body towards. Yeah, I think the end product for AR uh, are glasses and the or challenge. Or car display. Yeah, the challenge with glasses is so they don't end up being like Google Glass, which was kind of creepy and mm -hmm. ugly and uncomfortable and it failed. So I think that's the main challenge with AR glasses. And of course, a car heads up display would be awesome as well. A car heads-up display is awesome until it glitches, and then you can't see out, and you crash and die. Or you kill someone. <laughs> it has to be done very thoughtfully. So, Leo, you've been working on this app. It's coming along, I assume, pretty well. Where is it going? But more importantly, what have you learned during this process? That's a really great question. I think the I've learned a lot of the power that HealthKit provides but also how much Apple sticks to the sort of privacy code that it's well known for. Um, HealthKit is really good at making sure you only have access to the data that you've allowed. You've given, the user has given authorization for you to have. Um, on top of that, the, um, it's really interesting how uh, queries are made. They pretty much follow the same. If you're familiar with things like, say, core data, um, or maybe a core location where you end up having some sort of query of some sort. It's the same interface, follows those same patterns. You say you want heart rate, um, it'll give you the heart rate. Um, there's a lot you can do as far as queries. There's all sorts of different kind of queries. Let's say you want to observe changes. Let's say you want to observe a sample. So that's that I find really interesting, how they've broken down how queries are, but also how you... And I, uh, I remember how last year there was a lot of talk about how Swift is kind of managing units. And I see that a lot with... Uh, HealthKit, because they are uh, very concerned about making sure whatever unit you ask for, whether it's beats per minute or kilometers or miles, that you get the value back, which you never really think about, but um, they, they're they very intricate, I guess, or detailed in how you get certain units uh, um, when it comes from HealthKit. Uh, on top of that, the each the watch and the phone have their own separate uh, sets of data that get synced on a periodic basis. So depending on if you're pulling that data from the watch or from the phone, there, you have to use either like watch connectivity if you want to make sure you get the latest data or you're going to have to wait until that data is synced up on a, a regular basis. That's, that's done automatically. But um, yeah, HealthKit's a very powerful tool. And I love the way, um, I loved all the new stuff that they added this year with watchOS 5 with the um, workout builder and using that as opposed to necessarily uh, querying for that data. Um, what it'll do is you pass in a delegate and it'll give you that set of data on a regular basis, like let's say heart heart rate or calories or things like that. And to me, like the bigger challenge, honestly, is building the UI uh, that's useful um, within that small space, going back to kind of what Gui was saying um, about, you know, working within WatchKit and, and working within those parameters, but also giving just the right amount of data and just the right amount of user interface on the watch to make it easy for somebody to start a workout, end a workout, pause a workout, or change settings if need be. Awesome. 
Well, uh, we're running a little bit low on time. Uh, let's get to the picks. For you, the listeners of the iFreak show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Guy, what do you have for us? I'm going to pick the new Siri shortcuts uh, APIs. <laughs> Did I steal your pick? Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's a really good API. I'm trying it out on some of my apps. And I'm actually preparing a talk that I'm going to give next month uh, in uh, an event here about Siri shortcuts and custom intents. So check out the, the sessions from WWDC, and we'll link them in the show notes. Awesome. Erica? Well, let's see. <laughs> I have to come up with a new... So you can, do a, you, can expound, you can expound on the previous pick? As a no, follow-up. it's okay. I'm going to go with the Fitbit Aria. The Fitbit Aria is a smart scale. And since we've been talking about HealthKit and the watch and so forth, this is a product that Apple should make, but it doesn't make. The Aria is a line of scales with uh, Wi-Fi connectivity, They hook up directly to the Fitbit website and they collect your data on a daily basis. So you can look at all your trends. You can check uh, body fat. There's, it's all done for you. It's all automatic. It is sleek. It is simple. It is brainless. You just get on it. You get off it. You don't even have to look at how much you weigh every day, but it will keep the data for you. It will collate it and give you beautiful charts and graphs to do. And it is one of those many areas of health tech that I really wish that Apple was in, but it's not. Plus, because the Aria version one has been discontinued, if you can find one, because there are still a few around on clearest sections, they are incredibly cheap right now. Very cool. So I've, I've got one pick. And since we talked about content marketing as a way to get inf- information about something you want to build or maybe sell, I just want to give a good example of that. I, so recently I, I moved from a co-working spot into my own office again. And I needed a coffee grinder and like, well, what kind of coffee grinder should I get? So I, I searched on Amazon and, you know, the reviews for the coffee grinders are terrible. They have no idea if they're any good or not. Uh, but I, I ran across an article that went over uh, some good ones, like for the budget. I wanted to buy a pretty nice one because I figured, you know, I drink coffee enough. It's why not get a good, good get a good grinder, get a good burger grinder. And this company called Prima Coffee did a great overview of uh, different entry level uh, burger grinders, which are not cheap. They're like hundred, hundred something. But that was a great way for to get my sale. And they um, they didn't have to have the cheapest price on something I didn't know I wanted. They had had a good explanation of what it was. And I ended up buying a Baratza Encore, which I'll, I'll make as my other pick. Um, so this, um, Prima Coffee is um, a good, good company. And they got my business by writing about their products. And like, okay, that's what I want. It's a good price. And I went for it. So I'm in my office every day making pretty sweet coffee. Um, that's my pick. So Leo, do you have a pick for us? Yeah, um, I guess I'll, I'll 
talk a little kind of going on C shortcuts. Maybe I'll talk about a specific uh, talk from WWDC that I thought was really good um, was the qualities of great design. Uh, I don't know if any of you heard that talk or saw that talk, but um, I, I, it was a really good talk on design and how to get that information from users and creating quality designs. Um, I thought it was really well done. Um, amongst a set of talks that are awfully technical, it's good to kind of get an idea of why you're building what you're building and, and how to make something that's actually useful. Um, so uh, that that would be my pick, and I will um, put a link to that in the notes as well. The quality is a great design. Yeah, I watched that one, and all design sessions this year uh, were really great. I recommend all of them. All of them. Yeah, I agree. Excellent. Well, that's it for our show. Leo, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. It was nice to talk with everybody. So if people want to get a hold of you, how can they find you? Uh, they can reach me on my website, uh, brightdigit.com. That's my company's website. I'm on Twitter at leogdion.com. Um, and uh, they can reach me on Twitter as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. And for everyone else, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.